listening to the podcast edition of One Love, One Planet. Good morning and welcome to One Love, One Planet with me, Penny Southgate, for the next hour. And I'm very pleased to say I am joined in the studio by uh, Mary Rose Clark. Good morning, Mary. Hiya. How are you doing? Really happy to be here. Thank you, Penny. So am I. So am I. And also to Lola Tinsley. Good morning. Hello. (laughs) Um, Right, I shall introduce them both properly in a moment, but first... Um, a new feature on One Love, One Planet, which is a different eco-tip each week, courtesy of the amazing Chloe Noldrit. Hello, so here is my weekly eco-living tip. Just a little bubble of positivity and possibility to counteract all the images that we see of the burning planet um, and hopefully just to inspire people to start doing the little things um, because hopefully that leads to the bigger things. Um, So week one's tip is how to make um, an all-purpose cleaning spray with white distilled vinegar and bicarbonate of soda. So if you mix those two things together, they make a cleaning spray which cuts through grease and disinfects every bit as well as commercial chemicals. And the bonus is that both ingredients are really cheap. So put about 100 millilitres of white vinegar in in an empty spray bottle and slowly add about two teaspoons of bicarbonate of soda. It's not an exact science. I tend to add the powder until it stops fizzing. Top it up with warm water and add a few drops of essential oil. I use lemon myrtle oil, which I buy from Scoop Away, um, but lavender or tea tree oil would be equally good. And I use this on my bathroom, on my kitchen, on windows. It's good for absolutely everything. So... Um, that's this week's eco living tip. I share these not because I'm perfect, but because doing small things makes me feel a bit better. Thank you, Chloe. And what actually, what better way, yeah, to lead into um, a conversation about eco anxiety and hopefully how you can feel a bit better. So thank you so much, Chloe. I'm definitely going to try that. Um, okay, right. Eco anxiety. I think I, I've no doubt that after the summer we've had. Um, a lot more people are probably going to be feeling anxious about what's happening to our world. Um, And also what actually prompted this, me getting you both into the studio, in fact, was seeing a number of young people um, on social media, particularly saying to older people, um, can we please see some more positive stuff and can you please stop being so doom laden and can you please be aware that uh, young people in particular um, feel quite a lot of eco-anxiety so I think the first thing I just wanted to ask you both as young people is is sort of how it's affected you do you feel it um, Mary Rose let's start with you if we can mm, thank you yeah I suppose I just want to acknowledge really that, you know, fear and anxiety are really natural and normal responses um, to what's happening. And they, they actually can support us by alerting us to the, the danger that we're in and can really support us to actually mobilise into action as well and, and move forwards in that. Can I just um, ask you, mm-hmm. do you fe- have you felt it yourself? Yeah, so I think... Um, that absolutely 
felt a lot of fear and that there can be like moments when that fear tips over into panic Mm -hmm. and moments when that fear tips over into paralysis actually Mm. when it tips over into numbness Mm. and so I suppose the way I would describe my feelings have been a um, a movement along this line at at different moments um, between that kind of panic like worry Mm. and then um, kind of out the other side of 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 numbness and having to actually turn away not really being able to engage with it so I, I I'm not sure if that quite answers the question. uh, No, it does. It absolutely does. And Lol, can I ask you just to, if you you would, if you could share how you've been feeling? Um, I didn't have any, or not didn't have any eco-anxiety, but didn't really have very much until this year. And I think it was because of having just generalised anxiety from the pandemic and other things. Mm -hmm. So I think when you have general anxiety, it then chooses whatever trigger it likes. And then climate has been a trigger for it this year. And that sort of peaked when uh, the other week when there were no trains and it was really, really hot and I had to get a megabus to Bristol and where you wait for the megabus in Cardiff, there's not really any shade. And I stood there waiting and I was like, it's too hot. It's too hot. It mm. doesn't feel right. This isn't right. <laughs> and that was when it kind of like came to a head for me as like proper anxiety. It's mm. just, yeah, waiting for that megabus. <laughs> yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean, actually. I had a, a not dissimilar experience on, on well, actually it was Woolacan Beach. It was very strange. I was walking back from the sea and when the tide goes, goes out, it's a very, very long way. And it was a blistering hot day. Um... And actually, I suppose it wasn't so much eco-anxiety, but I was aware that it was very, very hot and I needed shade. I needed to get to shade quite quickly. And I still had quite a long way to walk. Mm. And I felt ever so slightly sort of panicky. Um, That was the first time it's happened. Um, And it's happened once since, but I now recognise it and and sort of get it. So it's not quite so bad now. But um, yeah, and and have have you both also noticed do you are your friends feeling the same is there an aware, a general awareness do you think among young people is is this getting worse do you think or do people not do you not talk mm. about it with mm. your friends mm. um that's that's an interesting question i suppose because i'm because i do environmental activism i'm like around a lot of people who are really engaged in the topic um and 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 generally, I see in young people more and more there being an awakening to the understanding of um, the intersection of so many different environmental and justice issues. So I might have friends who are actually more engaged with, let's say, Black Lives Matter or with, you know, the statue coming down or even, um, you know, kill the bill and trying to stop this this bill coming, coming through. Seeing how... Um, the the system that we're currently living within really that they're all woven together so when we're talking about um the crisis like the the living cost crisis at the moment we're talking about the profits of of the energy companies and so i might have friends who are much more involved with um campaigning on that or even in in unions in some way for example Mm. um and and so now there's this understanding of like oh well actually when we're talking about poverty 
we're also talking about um, the climate crisis and we're talking about racism and we're talking about classism and yeah, you know, all right. these different yes, things. Yes, it all feeds in, doesn't it? Um, just before we move on, Lal, I just wanted to ask you, do you talk to your friends about about the climate or do you just tend to keep it to yourselves, do you think? I don't usually because I don't like talking about it, so I avoid talking about it. And when I do, I think my friends feel this very much kind of, it's too late. Um, and it's very, very, there's loads of cynicism. We're all very cynical people. Um, and also being in Wales, I think they're used to feeling like their politics is run by somebody else. So <laughs> it's, it's like connected to like wanting to look after Welsh countryside and things like that. But I think lots of my friends are quite used to feeling like they're not really listened to. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough, because you're based in Cardiff, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. so there's yeah. another intersection, isn't it? Yeah, mm -hmm. the relationship between Wales and England. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, I realised I haven't talked about you both in terms of your sort of backgrounds, which might help. Um, sorry, so Mary Rose, you're a therapist, aren't you? Could you tell us what, what kind of therapy do you do? Sure. Or counsellor? Yeah, yeah, tell yeah. us a bit about So, I, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a therapist. I work in, in private practice in Bristol at the moment, and I work as a person-centred counsellor and embodied relational therapist. Um so that uh, is a type of body psychotherapy and it really is about um, including the body and the body's um, understandings and um, wisdom as well as uh, the mind and the, the rationale and analysis of the mind. In, See, uh, right, yeah. okay. I found this fascinating. I, I, I was actually really pleased because... Um, because Lola was coming on this program originally with somebody else who couldn't come on and I was so pleased Mary Rose when you came on and started talking about the things you were talking about because I thought it just connected up with because um, lol you were talking about something that you studied in philosophy which I thought connected up with what Mary Rose was just saying panpsychism is that right well panpsychism less so um it was more it was merleau ponty that connected right, with, with this because it was merleau ponty was emphasizing he used to emphasize how all human experience is filtered through the body um so <clears throat> it's getting away from the kind of western philosopher's obsession with mind versus body a cartesian division of mind and body and he's saying your mind and your experiences are filtered through your entire body um, so that seems related to, yeah, what Mary Rose is saying. About mm. It's a holistic thing. Mm. You have to pay attention mm. to your body and your mind. One of the things that strikes me about um, eco-anxiety is that the, the, the problems that we're facing are huge um can we talk a little bit about this about I, mary rose you were talking about the the, the problem of communicating mm. um the, the, what scientists were saying about a scientist talking in facts yeah. and yeah absolutely tell us a bit about that if you would so i i think you know the the scientists have been doing um their job and doing a really good job for a long time of actually communicating something of um the climate um, crisis and emergency that that we're in at the moment and, and we're heading towards rapidly um, and yet the you know as humans we've really um, found it difficult to respond 
appropriately to the to the facts to, to the numbers that they've been giving us to the scientific information they've been giving us um and you know i think that a lot of that is to do um with you know being human and actually a lot of our responses not really being completely rational and how you know it's not necessarily one plus one equals two because if when we're receiving that information we actually become um, overwhelmed with the existential threat of it that sends us straight into a place of um, of numbness of um, overwhelm and disassociation um, which means that which is a very basically an impossible place to take action from because we can't really sit with the reality of it without it becoming overwhelming and I think that's what we've been seeing in our society for you know the last 30 years is actually like oh it's too big let's pretend it's not happening lol does that strike a chord with you or do you yeah it was making me think of what I was thinking about the other day which is like yeah we're faced with all of these statistics and these things we have to do but it's not something I I feel like I'm not trying to do things or take action I'm sort of feeling like I need to be less active and do and stop doing things Mm. so it's hard to mobilize and get energy up to stop doing things to do less Mm. that doesn't you don't get a lot of energy from thinking okay I've got to buy less I've got to use less it's it's a difficult like you know it doesn't help you mobilise, does That's it, really? a very good point. And can I just... I need to put a word in here, which is solar punk. Mm. Um, now, there may be people listening um, who, are, who are already... Call themselves solar punk. And if you are, thank you so much, because you may be one of the reasons that I know about this movement. Because it's a very positive thing. It is all... It, I think it really began life as an arts movement about um, depicting a world that we could create. It was about something positive to look towards. And so artists, primarily the visual arts, um, and people literally sort of painting a world that you would just look at and think, yes, I want to live in that world, which is overwhelmingly green, I have to say. Um, But the principles that underlie it are very positive and about doing things, and very much about doing things, actually, and not waiting for governments to act even though we obviously need government action we need it at that sort of system level but it is also very much about let's okay enough we've got to stop waiting let's take things into our own hands let's grow all our own food let's not wait for the farm you know because god knows the farmers need help as well Uh, but like big agribusiness in the u.s we want to move away from those um giant sort of monopolies and and do it ourselves so a movement like solar punk is i think really helpful um but yes it's a good point about that whole business about do less um so in terms of it is this huge thing that is very difficult to perceive um and grapple with so the next stage is how do we how do we what have you got any thoughts either of you on how do we frame this how do we work to you know towards doing something about it um i like the emphasis on local like try and settle if you can if you're settled somewhere to 
try and get involved with something local and don't think about saving the world think about saving your little corner of it and the more we build local power the more we can start to just not maybe we'll kind of maybe ignore like government that isn't doing anything ignore people that don't care and just think okay well you're not i'm not going to even factor you in to my plan for the future i'm just gonna we're just gonna build power locally before we came on air actually this reminds me we were talking about the business of people feeling guilty because they don't do enough um and lol you were saying something about um people shouldn't necessarily have to feel guilty because they're just part of this thing could you just say a little bit about that yeah um i was just saying that like the more we emphasize the fact that we're part of nature and not just connected to nature but part of nature and everything we do is natural because we're natural beings. The more we emphasise that, the less guilty I think we should feel because the idea of humans being guilty because we haven't done enough for the planet comes from an image of ourselves as superior to the planet, superior to natural other natural beings, and therefore it's this sort of Christian idea of we are wardens of the earth and we need to look after the earth, and now we feel guilty for failing in that duty. But if we see ourselves more as what we are, which is animals, which is natural, we, we react to things, we behave the way we've adapted to behave. If we see ourselves more in that light, then I think it gets rid of some of the guilt that we yeah. feel. Mary Rose, what's... Do, because mm. I think some of the work that you, you do relates to that, doesn't it? Um, uh, yeah... Yeah, I think I think I, I, it also ties into the question you were just asking. I think about what, you know, how do we move forward mm. from a place of potentially overwhelm, um, like this place of panic or paralysis? Um, oh, do, maybe that's a yeah. That, I suppose that's a kind of a solution around. I think all of these responses are really natural. And that we need um, we need to come together to support ourselves to be able to actually feel what we're feeling a lot more actually, right. Right. and and for that to be held in a in a safe and contained way with other people um, who who understand or other yeah other people who are who are willing to show up and and be with those really difficult feelings that we're having um, that we're not going to be able to respond appropriately um and effectively unless we're actually able to sit with the reality uh and so that's there's a huge part of um how how we're going to be able to you know shift a lot of things very quickly i think is by coming together and allowing ourselves to be really human allowing ourselves Mm. to feel our distress Mm. but also feel our love for the earth um you know to feel our sadness and to feel our grief and to connect you know with the the joy that we have maybe when we're like when we hear a bird sing like we were talking about earlier Mm. um for me like how i work with with these ceilings is a by being able to talk to other people about them Mm -hmm. but b by really um, going back to the earth to be able to um, support myself to act for the earth. Like if I really want my um, 
my life to support the future life on Earth, then I have to um, really be able to, to go and show up and take refuge in that which I'm trying to support. Um, yeah. Lol, you're nodding there. Yeah, I just like the idea to take refuge in what you're trying to support and, like, yeah, using your... Like you were saying about solar punk, I don't know, use your imagination of what we can... where we can mm. live and try and live there in your head already. <laughs> like, it's nice. Yeah, it is. It's comforting. And, and actually, all that you're saying reminds me precisely of movements like XR. Um, and people... I, I've seen it said so many times that... Um, and as Greta Thunberg said, once you start to act hope is everywhere and certainly it does feel like if if you can find a group of people and it doesn't have to be xr it could be any kind of group or movement it could be one of the big groups like friends of the earth or greenpeace it could be a local community group because so it strikes me that so much of this isn't necessarily about activism but as you were saying earlier lol about the, the community and doing things in the community because that's going to be a very important part of us saying staying strong and resilient um because as you say we need each other we need not to ignore these feelings uh, and i think you were at one point saying off air uh, mary rose that people try to some people try to medicalize this is that mm, right does that happen mm, absolutely yeah yeah, if we um, well, I suppose the official term would be psychopathologize. Right. So, so <laughs> when we um, kind of really uh, give it a very uh, strong kind of medical label as a, um, a, a medical condition, that eco anxiety would be a medical condition rather than acknowledging the validity the validity of those feelings within our current context. Um, then that can be really dangerous because actually it's just supporting the further numbing out the further moving away from the kind of responses that we need to be having as a species right now um so that yeah that can that can be a really a, a big misuse of power to to try and um uh shut down yeah feelings that um, are making other people feel uncomfortable perhaps you yeah know? you've just actually do you know what i am going to play we have a voice message from um a counselor called linda aspie she is um she's an executive and team coach so i'm just putting it in here because it goes perfectly here she's a psychotherapeutic counselor a speaker and a writer and she focuses on culture, climate and environmental change within organisations. Um, and she provides free psychological support to activists. Um, and I got in touch with Linda because I read about a climate cafe. And I thought, this sounds very interesting. So I asked Linda if she would tell us about it. Um, so she's very kindly sent us a message telling us about climate cafes. So Linda, over to you. Many people ask me what a climate cafe is. Well, it can be online or in person, and it's been developed in the UK by many organisations, particularly though including the Climate Psychology Alliance, of which I'm a member. And what a climate cafe does is offer a place where people can come together and talk um, and be listened to 
and listen to others about the climate crisis, the environmental crisis and all the other related things that are going on in the world that can cause people quite some concerns. But it's also a place to share hopes and thoughts and feelings. So it's a space where people can meet up and express themselves fully. What we've often found is that people have some concerns um, and don't want to voice them with friends and family or are in fact discouraged by voicing them because people think, well, that's all sort of doom and gloom and, oh, don't go on about it. So it can be quite difficult for people who are experiencing some worries, some anxieties that are very valid uh, because obviously our planet's in a great deal of um, stress at the moment um, and people are having really tough times. So what a climate cafe does does is offer a space where that can be done in confidence um, with complete strangers. And what we find is very surprising, um, although on the other hand, not that surprising really, because the relief that people have being able to talk means that a bunch of complete strangers can come along. And within a short space of time, because we set up the group really well, we get an agreed understanding of what's confidential, of things like taking turns to speak and making sure we don't interrupt but also using the time and sharing the time equally, is that people then begin to open up to others and they find some shared things, shared feelings, shared worries. And within minutes, what were total strangers actually do feel like friends and allies. So the climate cafes that I offer are once a month. They're online, although we're called, we're called the, climate, uh, the Cotswolds Climate Cafe because originally, before lockdown, I'd intended to um, host them uh, locally in the Cotswolds. But once we started going online, uh, we actually found that people came from all over the world um, and still do every month. Um, and uh, they're wonderful spaces, so I would just encourage anyone to come along and, and try it out. You can come once, you can come regularly, it doesn't really matter. Um, the best place to find my climate cafes is to go online to my website. And my website name is exactly the same as my surname. So that's aspey, A-S-P-E-Y, dot com and look under uh, climate and environment events. Uh, mine are completely free of charge and they always will be. Um, and you can also look at the Climate Psychology Alliance and find some listings there all over the UK. Um, and in fact, they're held all over the world. If you go online and you use a search engine, um, just look for climate cafes. You'll find them online, in person, all over the world in different languages too. So I hope that you do look into it and you find it useful. My name's Linda Aspie. Thanks. And then Linda left a just a follow-up message, so I'll play that now. And I'd just like to add that climate cafes are not a place where people um, do activism of any kind. It's not a place where we have guest speakers. Uh, there's no pressure to join anything, to do anything, to um, sign up to anything. That's quite, it's quite the opposite, in fact. We focus very much on feelings, not on actions. Actions are useful, of course, uh, taking personal action, taking activist action, putting pressure on systems and governments and all those kind of things have a massive role to play in our environmental and climate crises and our social crises. But the Climate Cafe isn't where we do that. There are plenty of other places for those kind of things through social movements and uh, politics and citizen movements and community groups. So that's what a Climate Cafe really is. It's very much a focus on feelings. Thank you. Well, thank you, Linda. Um, that's fantastic. And I'm sure that many of our listeners um, will be interested 
in those climate cafes. Um, so, yeah, thanks a lot for telling us about that. And actually, I would love to get Linda on the show um, later on in the year to talk about more of, of her work. Um, so, Linda, if you're listening, again, thank you very much indeed. Um, it's almost quarter to 12. You're listening to One Love, One Planet. And I'm talking to Mary Rose Clark and Lola Tinsley about eco-anxiety. And both of them... <laughs> When Linda's message were playing, we said, oh, yeah, and there's this. Oh, and there's this. So um, I think, Lowell, come to you first. What was it you uh, wanted to say? I just wanted to say that the things that Mary Rose was saying reminded me of uh, something I read by, um, I think, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right. I'm really sorry. Um, Professor Amir Srinivasan. Um, and it was basically just about, you were saying that people's feelings are being psychopathologized. And in a way, it kind of like invalidates our feelings. Um, and what Srinivasan talks about is like political anger and how we're often told off for being angry because it's you mm. know unproductive or it's it's bitter or whatever. And she says actually anger is an appropriate reaction to the response that you're in, mm-hmm. and so you should be angry and your anger should be validated. And mm. and it's the same thing. I think anxiety and all of these things should be validated by institutions and we, they should be treated with. It's about respect. And then once those feelings are respected that's when we might be able to let them go. But they have to be respected Mm. first. So the more you're validated by each other and by institutions, the better we feel. And it just reminded me of the article, and I love the article, uh, The Aptness of Anger, it's called. So... Very good point, and I have I have quoted that, not the article, but well, Lola always says, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think it's absolutely true. Yeah, it's a very good point, um, and uh, I think that was one of the reasons, possibly, uh, that the Colston Four were uh, were found not guilty of what happened because it was just a very valid response. Um, yes, Mary Rose, I think mm. you also wanted to come back. I really on love this word respect, actually. I think it's like, yeah, it's, I, it, it feels so important, right, to, to really um, respect our, our own feelings and to respect each other. Um, and then also how do we develop more respect for the earth or like in our relationship with the earth? Um, and I think that's something that I think about even um, like beyond having to step out and talk to anyone about your worries about the climate crisis or go to any sort of group, actually right here and right now, we have the power to um, develop our relationship with the earth and, and change that. Um, so whether that be through um, the way we eat, you know, you know, you don't have to go and buy organic things, you don't have to go and do local things, you can have your regular food from wherever it is but actually the the way that you are eating that food the kind of um attention and respect you are giving to this um you know this sunlight and water that has helped to grow this raspberry that you're eating right now um the way in which you are like you know really um noticing the leaves as you know in the next few weeks are going to start to change to autumn and we can really that that's something that we have every single one of us has the power to do is actually evolve and develop our um our relationship with the earth which which is essentially um uh, the, the thing that is necessary um for us to um, make the changes that we need uh, we're going to collectively have to do this um so true 
Very, very true, and beautif- beautifully put as well. It's suddenly got very noisy in the studio, hasn't it? I think yeah. the I think some, the air conditioning's hitting. So if if you if you're hearing a noise, sorry, that's what it is. Um, yes, Mary Rose, absolutely. Yeah, Lol, does that strike a chord with you? It does, and it again made me think of something else I'd read, where um, they were talking about people eating jelly beans, and they said that if they gave some people jelly beans and they didn't describe the jelly beans at all and then they gave other people jelly beans and they said this is the flavour and this is the colour of the jelly bean and the people who got all the descriptive information didn't eat as many of them so it's made me think like the more care and attention that maybe I take over what I consume the less I will consume so that would really help me to be more environmental it's just yeah interesting mm. I, I did um, I remember doing a, um, a little kind of mindfulness exercise um, on eating uh, and part of it was thinking about all the people who had so in fact it wasn't the earth as such but and I love the fact that you added that to it because this was just all the people who had been involved in producing that thing in your hand mm-hmm. so the farmer who grew it the people who picked the crop the people who delivered the crop to the processing plant, the people who were involved in the processing, the people who were involved in getting that product to the supermarkets, the person who worked at the cash till. And on it goes when, you know, when you're sort of thinking about how expensive something was, it's, it's that whole process of that web of people as well involved in getting that food on your plate. And I think to add then the earth, and the sun and the soil and that and also of course all the insects all the wildlife um that have made that possible um there is this phenomenal web that has made that that strawberry on your plate um sort of appear as it were and yet we just think of a pack in the supermarket we are so disconnected in some ways um but definitely sorry I just want to say like for me like that advice of consuming less is only for like people with more money like you know yeah of but I course. just want to like, be yeah. very clear about that uh, do you, you can expand a bit on that if you want to oh yeah, yeah just like it's the same thing like yeah the more money you have the more you consume so like you were saying you don't have to go and buy organic things like even if we mm. I'm middle class I go out and buy all of this organic green stuff I'm still buying more than people with less money than me so yeah, yeah. when mm. I talk about consuming less to people with money <laughs> absolutely yeah no absolutely mm-hmm. very good point um i just want to make sure that there is nothing else yeah i mean it, in i looked up how to reduce sort of anxiety and a lot of there is always that advice to go out and spend time in green spaces and that of course fortunately well I say fortunately it's free it isn't always uh, Roy Kareem who came on the show was saying precisely that for some people it's not free because um, they might live in very urban areas they're not near some beautiful leafy park and to get to, I remember him talking about a woman he knew whose nearest green space was about 40 minutes away on a bus um, so even that, yeah, it's not always easy. Um, but I suppose in, then in that place, maybe if you can, it's things like plants, just being with anything green 
nurturing green things definitely helps and also having conversations with people you know if you gently 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 push more of these conversations and the more people feel able to talk about it as god knows i recognize that look of panic in people's eyes that i get when i start to, and i think oh here we go mary rose you look like you wanted to say something at that point no okay um yeah, I, I just get this look that says, please don't start talking about this. But I think, you know, the more we can talk about it, mm. the better, really. Um, did you, yeah. yeah. So, so just um, a last thing would be, I suppose just to, just to say that, you know, I really, I really get how scary this is. And I really get that uh, how helpless you can feel. And, um, and I want to say that, you know, do not hesitate to reach out for support. Um, whether you can find it in friends and family, whether you can find it in professionals, if you need it, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, and that, you know, we in, in, in times of um, great struggle, like we need to be able to um, lean on each other. And, um, and, and I know as a young person and young people out there how hard it is to... Um, begin to digest this information and make a plan for your future and and do all these different things um we can uh you know what we do matters what you do matters and um and and i want you to know that that you 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 matter what you do matter matters and and you can get the support that you need find the support that you need yeah thank you Thank you very much for making that point. Um, yeah, I did want to say, I know I go back to XR quite a lot, but it is because they do, as a movement, its regenerative culture is very good at helping people deal with these very, very difficult emotions. And just talk, they have these, I think, called listening circles. Um, and... Uh, just they have lots of, of sort of things in place for looking after people and it's looking after yourself it's looking after your group it's looking after the movement it's looking after your community it's looking after your planet it, it just gets bigger and bigger all the way up um, but yes starts with yourself so um, yeah thank you very much for making a very very important point um, next week I've got um, Eliz Meisen she's coming on next week to talk about why so many journalists still sort of um, talk about things which are basically climate disinformation um, she, she wrote an article recently in the Byline Times which I just thought was very interesting I thought right need to get her on the show discovered of course she lives in Bristol um, so she's coming on the show next week so um, until then thank you very much again Mary Rose and Lola Bye.